Hello, and welcome to the Paperclip podcast. I'm Mehir Sharma of the Observer Research Foundation. And in this podcast, we are going to take a look together at the stories that matter to India and the world. This is the third of our opening series in Paperclip, a look at how India can try to manage the tensions that have sprung up with the People's Republic of China after soldiers were tragically killed in Ladakh. Remember, our purpose here in Paperclip is to bring to you dispassionate and cutting-edge expertise so you don't have to depend upon the nationalistic hype and overexcited statements of either politicians or news anchors. And therefore, in the first episode, I suggested that we analyze how to manage the new and aggressive China under President Xi Jinping along three dimensions. First, hard power. Second, economic power. And finally, soft power. And we've already covered the first two. What we learned was not very encouraging. In terms of military capability, India is underpowered because we in India have starved our military in recent years and economic tariffs or sanctions are much more likely to hurt our own economy, ensuring we lose any long-term match with China. And so we come to soft power. And finally, therefore, this is an arena where we do have an advantage, one that, partly, New Delhi has won through its own past actions but also one where the People's Republic under President Xi Jinping has handicapped and hurt itself. Let's think about how that's happened. Few countries have benefited from the multilateral order as much as has the People's Republic. It was brought in from the cold in the 1970s by the West, led by the US, in order to help balance the Cold War against the Soviet Union. It was given a seat at the high table, in fact, literally at the highest of high tables, the permanent membership of the UN Security Council. Other underpinnings of the liberal internationalist order also helped it rise. Its economic success and its position as a world factory are almost entirely due to the West's decision to include China in the World Trade Organization. And China's economic transformation has been driven by investment from countries that are pillars of the global liberal order, like Japan and the US. And such investment has relied upon the special relationship between China and Hong Kong, which has till now performed a unique function, an outpost beloved to international finance within China, an outpost of the rule of law, of free markets, and of liberal values. Beijing has, however, for the past decade, chosen to one by one flout most of the rules that underpin this global order from which it has benefited. And it has also chosen to alienate the countries that are its neighbors and those that were its allies. This aggressiveness has not stopped even during the pandemic. As ORF's Rajeshwari Pillai Rajagopalan has written, China's belligerent behavior, including military maneuvers and large-scale deployment of military assets to the region, have caught many of its neighbors off guard. She mentions Indonesia and Vietnam as having been particular targets in the past couple of months. Meanwhile, further north, Beijing has been pushing at the unofficial line in the Taiwan Strait that is meant to keep the mainland and Taiwanese forces apart. And even further afield, Chinese rhetoric has sharpened against countries like Australia and Canada. It recently charged two Canadians in its territory as spies, in retaliation probably, for Canada's detention of the Huawei heiress, Meng Huanzhou. And even in Europe, which has traditionally been soft on Beijing, 2020 has been epical. As Andreas Kluth wrote for Bloomberg, 
If 2019 was a year when Europeans began having serious doubts about Beijing's geopolitical intentions, 2020 may go down in history as a moment they turned against China in defiance. Because China, by trying to capitalize on the pandemic with a stunningly unsophisticated propaganda campaign, inadvertently showed Europeans its cynicism. Andreas continues, At the beginning of the year, the calendar for 2020 was filled with Sino-European summits celebrating ever deeper ties. Instead, the pandemic is likely to be the occasion for Europeans to begin emancipating themselves from a bad relationship. We have already learned that India has few resources of its own to counter Beijing's aggressiveness. But the crucial fact is that no one country or bloc in the world, not even a distracted and inward-focused United States, is capable of taking on Beijing alone at the moment. Which means that if there is to be pushback, it has to come from all of us and together. What could this pushback look like? I argued, for example, in the previous installment of Paperclip, that one way must be the isolation of Beijing within the World Trade Organization for its consistent violation of the letter and spirit of international trade rules. The world's open free market democracies also need to share information and concerns about those nominally private companies like Huawei that may in fact be too close for comfort to the Chinese state. And we definitely need to keep them out of our critical infrastructure and also keep crucial intellectual property out of such companies' hands. But most importantly, the world can no longer be scared of openly admitting that it will have to cooperate to deal with an aggressive Beijing. The thing is that there is no further hope of placating the current leadership there, because it has become very clear now that this leadership has no interest in being placated. The world's democracies can no longer afford to avoid naming the greatest threat to the global rules and norms that are crucial for their shared prosperity. India, in fact, has the least to lose of any of these countries. It is not as economically integrated with the People's Republic as Australia. It is not paralyzed by internal disagreement like Europe, nor is it unwilling to lead like Japan. Unlike many of the others, too, it has the credibility of being a leader of the developing world. If and when, therefore, it again takes the lead in restoring vigor to the global international order, nobody can argue that this is just an attempt by the old rich to keep the new rich down. And that is exactly what India will have to do. It has insufficient hard power and insufficient economic power. And therefore, India will have to throw its energy into creating and nurturing a coalition that makes no bones about its defense of existing rules and its desire to contain China. We have unfortunately not been as clear about this, even after Ladakh, as we should have been. Our participation in the global community continues to be colored by legacy institutions, uh, such as BRICS, that emerge from a world in which we saw India and China as equal challengers to a Western-led order. But this is not the real world of 2020, in which the free market democracies of the world must deal with the ideological and material challenge posed by authoritarian state capitalism. The Quad, an informal grouping of India, Australia, Japan, and the US, is one such grouping. But New Delhi is uniquely positioned and especially trusted, and it must treat the Quad only as a beginning of the network that must be created. 
the Quad is military and the network that defends the global order cannot be just military or even military first. And such a network must also integrate countries like Indonesia, Vietnam and others as equal partners. If we do not, then this will be Beijing's century. By 2050 even, there will be no challenge left to its actions or perhaps to its ideology. It's time for the challengers to step up. And that's the only way that India can respond. This has been Paperclip. Thank you for listening.